0: Here's a question I'd like you to just ponder for a moment. Who is your community? Now, I think we can figure that out by asking some questions such as, what relationships matter the most to you? Who do you care most deeply about? Who do you trust? Who would you die for? Now, it's rather interesting that for most of human history, for most people, community was defined in two primary ways. First, there was your family, and then came your tribe. And your tribe was your extended family, and perhaps some friends who'd been embraced by your family. Family and tribe. That was community. Over time, that understanding of community evolved. And by the time of Jesus, the concept of community was this, for the typical Jewish person. First came family, then tribe, and then nation. And people outside those groups tended to be viewed with suspicion and hostility because they were not part of your community. And then Jesus shows up. And Jesus announces a new plan a different plan, a better plan built around a new way of understanding community. When he launched his ministry, he did so with these words, "The time has come and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in this good news. Jesus was introducing a whole new concept of community. The kingdom of God. And it's a community that incorporates and transcends family, tribe, and nation. And and Jesus puts that principle into action by the way that he recruits his first 12 followers. Because those original 12 disciples are not selected based on their family or their tribe or their devotion to Israel. And so, for example, he, he recruits a few fishermen. He recruits a passionate supporter of Israel named Simon the Zealot. And he recruits the exact opposite. A tax collector named Matthew whose work undermines Israel by supporting the Roman Empire. The fact is those, those 12 men have almost nothing in common. In fact, the only thing they have in common is their willingness to follow Jesus. And Jesus takes this group of strong-willed, highly opinionated men and he forms them into a community. It's a community that grows slowly during Jesus' three-year ministry. And by the time of his death, it numbers about 120 people. And then, on the day of Pentecost, that community explodes. It increases exponentially when 3,000 people are baptized. Now, from, from the lens of distant history, sometimes when we look at the Jewish nation, we view them as this homogeneous, uniform society. And that's just not the case. The fact is that the Jews didn't all like each other. They looked down on people from inferior neighborhoods. And even Jesus was subjected to that. Early in his ministry, he once is introduced as Jesus of Nazareth. And someone says, Nazareth? Can any good thing come from Nazareth? It's a very sad human failing that we categorize people in ways and look down on them. And we do that too. When I first moved to this area, I was told that for a number of years, the people of Eugene called Springfield Springtucky, as if it was a community full of hicks. You see, it's easy for us to create barriers to meaningful relationships the kind of relationships that are necessary to form community. So we need to understand that it was not going to be easy for these Jews who had become brand new Christians on Pentecost. And the problem of becoming a community was compounded because many of those first converts were foreigners. Yes, they were Jews, but they were Jews from different nations with different cultures and different languages. And the Jews of Israel viewed them as second-class people. How can God build a real sense of community between believers who look down on each other? How can God take a community of people who are not automatically disposed to like each other who don't have much in common, and form them into a healthy community of faith. It's only possible because of the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit draws people to Jesus and helps them to look beyond themselves and develop a new sense of community as citizens of the kingdom of God. In the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, we get a glimpse of the character of this new community. And this morning, we want to see what that community is like so we can understand how we can continue to grow and become the community of faith that God wants us to be. Now, in a moment, we'll have the Bible passage on the screen, but not at first. Right now, I just want to read this passage to you and I want you to listen, just listen to the Word of God. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves, the day there, as the brand new believers, the first Christians, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together. Now, now this is a really interesting description for us to read as Americans because we are conditioned by our culture to think individually. I'm sure most of us have a sense of community that consists of family or friends, but but we primarily are an individual-centered culture. And as we see from this passage, the kingdom of God is different. It's a community-centered culture. Did you catch all the plural pronouns? Now, it's not that we lose our individual identity when we become part of God's kingdom. It's just that what we do together in community is so vitally important. By participating in the community of faith, we can experience the best that God has for us. We can experience things that there's no way we can experience on our own. Because the community of faith is distinctive and we find here the distinctive characteristics that can help change us and help us live as more faithful followers of Jesus. And so the very first and most foundational characteristic that describes this new community is that this community is a community of worship and we see that here in verse 42. Now. Now, the word worship's not used here, but, but the activities described here are ones which typically take place in a group when the church gathers together. And we see that a core element of community wor- worship is teaching. Teaching. And so the early church was privileged to receive teaching directly from the apostles who had been with Jesus. And we need to understand that this teaching is a spirit-directed activity. And that's because on the final night of his life, Jesus made this promise. He said to his disciples, The Holy Spirit who I will send will remind you of everything that I said. And so when the apostles teach, they're able to recall the things Jesus taught flawlessly. So they retell his parables. They retell the Sermon on the Mount. They pass on the detailed information that Jesus taught them about how to understand the Bible. And then in the years ahead, the Holy Spirit prompted those apostles to write it all down in detail and we have the New Testament. And therefore we too can continue in the teaching of the apostles. and We can can learn. We can be taught on our own, but teaching is really important when it takes place in community because because believers need to have a shared experience of learning and knowledge, which then forms the basis for life together. And life together is vitally important, which is why those early Christians spent time in fellowship. Now, fellowship is when we interact socially in order to build relationships and to break down social barriers and to discover common interests so that we can encourage each other in the life of faith. Fellowship becomes an integral part of the worship experience of the early church because they want to build connections with each other that go beyond, Hi, how you doing? We see here in this passage that when they worship, they also break bread. Now, in the first century, that phrase can mean have a meal together. And I believe later in the passage, it does. But in the original Greek text here, it says the breaking of the bread. And so I think it's referring specifically to the bread of communion. And when believers gather for worship, Communion should be central because this is a memorial given personally to us by Jesus, and it reminds us that only through Jesus can we find common ground. He is the one who unites us. Through Jesus, because of His sacrifice, believers of different races and nationalities can find unity. Jesus can unite people whose political convictions are different. I think of this in light of the twelve disciples. How could Matthew, the betrayer of Israel, find common ground with Simon, the Israeli nationalist? They only could find unity through Jesus. They were in community because of Jesus. Breaking the bread of communion together is designed to break down our normal social barriers. Those barriers we erect between each other. And through Christ, we allow him to lead us into a deeper experience of community with each other. Devotion to the apostles' teaching, meaningful fellowship, and the unity we express in communion build and strengthen the community of faith. They clear away the debris that clutters up relationships, and they help us to keep our focus on God. And then woven through all of this is the ongoing experience of prayer. Because God wants his people to be a praying community and when we pray for each other when we pray with each other things change when we pray we are changed sometimes the people for whom we are praying change sometimes the circumstances for which we are praying change but prayer changes things and that's one of the reasons that we have decided to make this a year of prayer and spend more time in prayer And we are praying more. And God graciously is responding to many of our prayers. And this morning, I have some specific answers to prayer that I want to share with you. Things that are happening here in our midst, in our community, because we're praying. Now, I'm not going to mention specific names because these are not my stories to tell. I want to mention circumstances, though. So, you can understand what God is doing here. There are two men in our church who have been delivered from chronic rage and anger. And they made the the, the very courageous decision to tell someone to take that sin and bring it out of the darkness and expose it to the light. And that is the first and most important step to healing because hiding a sin gives it power and confessing a sin begins to break its power. And so they confessed their problem. They invited others to pray for them. And they have been set free. Two friends in our church were in a badly broken relationship. And they were able to be reconciled through Honest conversation, crying together and praying together. That relationship has been restored. There are four people in our church family who are in the process of being delivered from drug or alcohol addiction. God is at work in ways both big and small in response to the prayers of his people few weeks ago it was a Friday afternoon and I got a call from a young woman who wanted to visit our church she doesn't live anywhere close and she didn't have any transportation because of where she lived I could not see any way that we could find someone to pick her up and get her here to church so I said let's just pray about this together and ask God to meet that need for you so we prayed over the phone and on Sunday morning there she was in church I said tell me what happened She said it was amazing. I hung up the phone after we prayed, and almost immediately a family member walked into the room and said, Hey, I don't need my car this weekend. Feel free to use it. And he tossed her the keys. Talk about an answer. There's power in a praying community. Don't miss out on the opportunity to pray for and pray with the people of God because our prayers make a difference. This coming Friday night is our first Friday prayer. And there will be people here in this auditorium from 7 to 745, and we'll be praying with each other and for each other and for our world. A great time to come together with the people of God and pray in community. And so we see here in this very pithy verse a succinct description of what a worshiping community looks like. There's teaching, there's fellowship, there's communion, there's prayer. We don't see these things in other communities in our world. They are distinctive and they change people. Now there's one thing that's unfortunate. Sometimes one of the things listed here, fellowship, often gets overlooked or minimized, and yet it's essential to a healthy community of faith. And God wants to make sure that we catch this. So verses 42 through 47 expand on the importance of fellowship. Let's look ahead in the text there. Now, as, as you can see in this part of the passage, there's lots of incredible descriptions about the way that early church Fellowshiped together, But before we dive into that, I want to highlight this fascinating comment that we see here in verse 43 about the wonders and signs performed by the apostles. The apostles were doing miracles. Why was that? I believe it's because God wanted the Christian community to know that the apostles truly were the designated successors to Jesus. So God granted them power through the Holy Spirit to perform the same kinds of signs and wonders that Jesus himself had done. These miracles helped to authenticate the message, the ministry of the apostles. And here's something really important to see. The people were in awe of this, but they were not caught up in this. They weren't running around pursuing miracles. What they focused on was community, building community. And so they engage in fellowship by caring for one another and supporting one another and serving one another. And I believe that through this example, God is showing us that he wants fellowship to be a key component, a core value of the community of faith. And it starts here, when we come to worship on Sunday morning. We have a chance before and after the service to get to know each other. It's why we provide something called the welcome in between our two services. I challenge the people who attend the 930 service regularly to be willing to stick around for an extra 30 minutes after the service and walk across the lobby, grab a cup of coffee, get a cookie, and spend time with other members of this community. Build relationships, fellowship together. And I want to encourage you who attend the 11 o'clock service, come 30 minutes early next week. Come at 1030 and go into the welcome in. Strike up a conversation with someone you don't know and take a step to build community. Here's a way to think of it. I know a lot of you are football fans and you love going to tailgate parties. Think of the welcome in as our tailgate party. It's actually a whole lot more important than a tailgate party. It's worth our time to invest in relationships, to get to know each other better, so we can become the community that God wants us to become. And Sunday morning, of course, only scratches the surface, which is why we see here that the early church met together during the week. They had meals together in their homes. And they didn't have cell phones, so they arranged to meet daily in the temple so they could connect with one another and pray with one another and make sure that everybody was doing okay. And these largely were poor, working-class people. And yet their commitment to each other is incredible. They use what they have to make sure that no one is in need. They shared their stuff freely with each other. And this doesn't come naturally or easily to most people. Particularly people like us who live in a consumer culture, we focus on getting, not giving away. When you go home after church today, take a look at all the clothes you have in your closet. Would you freely give some of that away on the spur of the moment? if you learned that someone in God's family was in need? It's not easy. If we owned two coats, would he give away one of those coats to someone who had no coat at all? That's the kind of caring and sharing that was going on here in the early church. And we need to understand that they did not learn this level of caring through their life together as Jewish people. This was new behavior being practiced by a new community. A community that was being formed and shaped by Jesus-loving, Spirit-filled people. And because of their love for Christ, and because of the presence and the power of the Spirit, they were learning how to care for one another and live together as citizens of the kingdom of God. And it was exciting. It was life changing. Why would anyone want to miss out on all that was happening here? This experience was transforming for them as new believers in Jesus because they could see regularly how God was changing them and working in their midst to change other people. The power and the presence of the Spirit were on display because of the way they were building community. And guess what? This unique community captured the attention of outsiders, as we see in verse 47. They were enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Think about this. A community that engages in meaningful worship and practices meaningful fellowship will be attractive to outsiders. It will become a community of witness. It will capture the attention of people who are far from God because it's a community that does not look like any other community. And there are so many people in our broken world who are hungry for meaningful community. As I read this description here, I want you to know that I've seen this actually happen. Several years ago, after a worship service, a lady came up to me and we had a conversation that I've never forgotten. She said she'd never been in church before, but she had become curious about this Jesus guy. And she thought she'd stop in to check it out. And she said, you people actually worship. I've never seen that before. There's something different going on here, and I want to understand it. And that led to a lot of conversations. Led to a lot more visits on her part. She was able to see some of the ways in which we strive to be the kind of community that's described here, in which we do care for one another and minister to one another. And ultimately, she took a step of faith and repented of her sins and was baptized and received the Holy Spirit. In the words of the passage, she was added to our number. She became part of the community of faith and was given new life in Jesus. You see, for her, our worship and our fellowship were a huge part of our witness. So we never can forget that the community of faith is not designed to be a holy huddle. This is not a fortress from the world. We are a community where we encourage each other in the life of faith and we offer hope to a hurting and dying world. And we do that best when we live up to the ideals that God has established for us, as recorded here in this passage. And to do that, we need to move beyond our own preferred ideas about community and instead embrace the community that God envisions, the community of the kingdom of God. And we have a great model here in the early church, these brand new Christians And we, like them, should strive to be a community of worship where we are participating together in teaching and in prayer and in communion, to be a community of fellowship where we build relationships of friendship and support and care, to be a community of witness where our life together is inviting and compelling and draws outsiders toward Jesus. And for these reasons, we cannot treat our connection with one another as incidental. We can't treat this community as just one more thing that we graft onto our lives or cram into our busy schedule. You and I need to invest in this community and let this community invest in us because it's a gift, a gift. To be part of God's community. And I have to say that I think it breaks God's heart that so many of his children treat the community of faith like an afterthought. And if we treat this community like an afterthought, then our community will fall short of what God wants it to be. And then we all will miss out on the best that God has for us. I spent a lot of time praying this week about how we can best apply the principles of this passage. I was asking God for some guidance to say, what part of this, Father, do you want us to embrace and really emphasize in the days ahead? And obviously, any community has room for improvement, but I think that we do reasonably well in the areas of teaching and communion and prayer, and I think God wants us to emphasize fellowship more. I believe he wants us to learn how to take our fellowship to a new, deeper level. I I mean, let's face it. It's not easy to live in community with people who are different from us, and yet that's exactly what God asks us to do. Now, we're not a very ethnically diverse congregation, but we are different from each other in a lot of ways. And in fact, we could make a list of our differences and we could begin to define ourselves by those differences, and then we could segregate ourselves from one another by those differences. And I don't believe that's what God wants. And so, after a lot of prayer, I think that God wants to issue us a challenge. I think in the next week or two, we all should make an intentional effort to get together with someone in this church who is not at all like us. So, for example, if you're a senior citizen, get together with a young adult. If you're a married couple, have some singles over for a meal. Did you know that unmarried people often feel marginalized within the church? It's really sad, but it's true, and it shouldn't be that way. Have coffee with someone from a different socioeconomic group. Now, these are just examples, but you pray and say, Lord, who would you like me to connect with? And when we do get together, here's the goal. Don't try to change each other. Talk with each other. Listen to each other. Tell each other your stories. Describe how and when and why you became a follower of Jesus and why your faith is important to you. Build a relationship. Talk about the challenges that you face living by faith in our world. Encourage each other. And if you're really courageous, you might even pray with each other. I have no doubt that this could be very uncomfortable for many of us. But I believe that it could be life-changing. And if we listen to the Spirit... I believe that some new and exciting and even amazing relationships could be formed within our church. And as we broaden and deepen our connections with each other, then our worship and our fellowship increasingly will be a witness to the world around us. And they will see that we are not like other communities. We are part of the kingdom of God, the kingdom where we honor the Father because of the Son And we live each day in the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit who is inviting us into a vibrant community so that we all can experience the very best that God has for each of us.